1 John chapter 3. Praise God. You know, after after uh, we've been here for a while, I, this morning, I was really starting to realize the fact that, you know, as we read the Word of God, as I've been taught and I've taught through through the years, that we come to these epistles with the doctrine of Christ surrounded by the love of Christ. So next time you're cooking a fried egg, um, remember that. The yolk is the doctrine, the white is the love. We surround the doctrine of Christ with the love of Christ. And that's a precedent all through the Word of God. But as we talk about the love of Jesus Christ, our position in Him, I want to focus this morning real quick the other side of that. The other side that says God desires to be with you. God desires fellowship with you. Yes, we should desire fellowship with him. And yes, understanding him. You know, like Dave Hunt says, it's a classic. You better fear God. You're going to learn to love him. You can't help it. You spend any time with him, you're going to learn to fall in love with him. But you better. You need to fear him for who he is. Well, we love fellowship with God, and that's our aim, to study the Word of God and have fellowship with God, and we can because of Jesus Christ. But on the other side of that coin, God desires that we would, that He would fellowship with us. You know? Try waking up in the morning thinking that. I am, I'm, you know, wake up in the morning, and, and God desires to meet you, to fellowship with you. That just opens up the world of the scriptures to us. You know, and one of the things of the enemy, he'll come in and say just the opposite. Oh, no, God's really upset with you. Or, you know, God's not going to hear you because of what you did yesterday. Or what, whatever. He will always question, yeah, if God really said, God told Adam and Eve that you could eat of all the trees freely. All of them. Can you imagine what, what Eden must have looked like? There was no attaining of sin. Okay? Because the Bible says in Romans 8 that even the creation groans. There was none of that. God created everything in six days, rested on the seventh day, and said, it is good. This is the environment that he created this couple with. God said, all of this stuff you may freely eat. But there is a, there is a tree in the midst here. Wow, is that really an inhibition? That's what Jesus, or excuse me, that's what Satan wants you to think. But yet he comes in and he says, well, yeah, hath God really said, you can't eat of any of these trees? A lot of times that, that as a Christian, whether we realize it or not, we are listening to uh, the enemy. We're listening to our doubts. We're listening to our fears. We need to understand that as we were made to fellowship with God, we are not only separated from sin, but we are separated unto God himself, who loves us immensely. And therefore, we read in 1 John chapter 3, we start out, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, or sons of God. 
children of God is probably more of a correct translation, but therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Now let's let's talk about this for a while. The manner of the love of God. Behold what manner of love. You know, I love the, the King James Version, chapter 12 of Matthew says, I've been forgiven from all manner of sin. What manner? We need to talk about the manner. What, what does this love of God entail? What does it look like? Yeah, we know that Jesus Christ is, is love. We see that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. We also see that Jesus said, uh, he talked a lot about love. To see the Father was to see him. Or I should say to see him was to see the Father. We talk a lot about love. But, but the manner of love, what kind of love, what does this love entail? That's why we closed in John chapter 17, verse 23. God loves us, the Father loves us, even as he loves the Son. Now we start understanding the little bit of manner of love that God has, has upon his children. Let's go down a little bit. Verse 29. And by the way, knowing this love, he goes right into character. We're going to be in this, in this, uh, this chapter, and we're going to hit these tough verses that some people don't understand exactly what they mean. But when we understand they mean in the context of God's love and in Jesus Christ, we start understanding it is fitting for somebody to put unrighteousness down. And we have no excuse now because we have the power of the Spirit to do that. And we, need, we understand now because of this manner of love what the, the children of, of, of God look like versus the children of the devil. We know it's what, what, what men that know Christ walk like, what men that either don't know him or profess without possessing the Spirit of God, look like. So he says, after the love of God, verse 2, he says, Behold, or excuse me, beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And I'll end in verse 3, and we'll get back into our, our text in verse 1. Verse 3, and everybody who has this hope in him, there it is, purifies himself just as he is pure. I remember a story that, that I've told this before is a true story. And, and, and God used this as an illustration to really open my eyes to, to teach correctly the word of God about character. I remember several years ago, quite a few years ago, running into this, this young man who had, was, you know, had his own Bible study and he was you know, doing worship once in a while. And, and we were talking about the, the upward call of God or the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and, and uh, what all that entails. And not too long after that, in the next week or so, and I saw him, he said, you know, he said, I never realized there was a high calling of God. I never realized there was an upward call. I, I thought that you, you were just saved and you were saved. Well, how long have you been saved? Well, I don't know, 10, 11 years. This, this man had been sitting in that state, that stagnant state, for so long, not realizing that there is a, there is a Christian life. God is calling us up in an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that involves this life down here. It involves love. You know, I want to start off this morning by reading a quote from a, a wonderful, one, one of the most definitive, as my mind, as far as this type of life, a guy named Theodore Epp. 
And last week we ended out, we ended in verse 28, 29 of chapter 2, and verse 28, and now little children abide in him. Remember, we we're talking about the word abiding, looking from verse 24 all the way down, how many times the word abide comes from. Went to John chapter 15. Jesus talks a lot about you abide in me and I abide in you. Talking about a branch. You know, you can do that. You go to your favorite fruit tree outside, break off the branch, throw it down. Three days later, it's dried, withered, and dead. We liken that to the fact that you, my true disciples, are a branch that should be in me. And if you abide in me, I will produce fruit in your life. So we end up now, little children, verse 28 of chapter 2, abide in him, that when he appears, there it is again. John chapter 3, verse 3 says this. John chapter 2, verse 28, First John says this. When he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. That's what they call a double negative in, 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 in language. We always talk that way. In other words, John is saying, I don't want you to be ashamed at his coming because there is a possibility that you can be ashamed at his coming. We use that all the time in our day-to-day -day speech with each other and everything else. Johnny, I don't want you to go out in the rain because you're going to get wet and get a pneumonia. That means there is a possibility of Johnny going out and get wet and get a pneumonia. This is how we talk. And John is saying, I don't write these things to you because you don't know the truth. I write to you because you do know them. You know? So on that verse, verse 28, Theodore F. writes this. I love it. In 1 John 2.28, we are given a warning that, it need, that is needed at all times. One day the Savior will come, and surely we do not want to be ashamed before Him at His coming. Surely we would not be satisfied with being saved as so much as by fire. 1 Corinthians 3. Instead, we will seek for an abundant entrance into His kingdom. For this to be a reality, we must use all the resources he has placed at our disposal so that we might grow and prosper in the things that pertain to life and godliness. Now I take that seriously. And John wanted his disciples to take it seriously as well. Because it involves the love of God. God never intended for us to believe doctrine and leave us here to fend for ourselves and uh, make the best of things. By the way, I've given you instruction manual. It's like, it's like getting a table, and I'm sure you've all done this. I've done it, I've done it a long time, thank God. You get a table, and then it's all in pieces, and you get some, some hokey instruction manual, and you've got to put the thing together. Well, my kids usually do that for me. They're smarter than me. But Christian life is not like that. We have an instruction manual, yes, that we, that we read and we know it pleases God, but we also have the Holy Spirit within us. There's the abiding. The abiding means that we take all joys and all sorrows and everything to Him. There's nothing in our life that, that He is not welcome into. There's nothing in our life that we can't share with Him. Our thought life, can you share your thought life with Him? That was a big one for me for many years as a youngster in Christ. Can I share my thought life with Him? Wow, that's a big one. And so on and so forth. What is this issue of abiding in Him? God wants us to realize that He desires that we abide in Christ. Not that He would be our home once in a while. You know, we're, we're not snowbirds. You know, we don't live somewhere and then for a time and then for another season when we want to get real spiritual close to God, we move to our other home. No, we abide in Him. He loves us. 
so much and so forth of that truth. He says in verse 24 of chapter 2, Therefore let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. That's how important it is. So when he's, when he's coming out and saying it's important of abiding and this privilege, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's, is it a duty? I guess some people call it a duty. It's not a duty, it's a privilege. It is a privilege to abide in the living God. You know, John says he doesn't want us to be ashamed of his coming, but you know who is behind the writing of John? I believe the Holy Spirit is the author of Holy Writ. It's God, because of his great love with which he loved you, he does not want you to be ashamed, or as the NSB says, shrink away, which I like too, at his coming. You don't want to, you just don't want to hang your head and, wow, I never realized or wow, I wish I had time, or nobody ever told me, or what have you. I can't imagine standing for the living God. Remember what Theodore Epp wrote. We're going to stand before him. God does not want us to, to shrink away. You know, if I was away from my, my loved one, let's say my wife for a long time, and, uh, you know, and you come back, and you can't wait. I remember when I used to come back, and I used to travel, but I'd come back in the airport, and I'd be coming through the, the you know, the terminal and everything, and, and man, I'd look, and I'd see my wife right there. Wow, my heart leapt with joy. There was not only, I'm home, there was not only, I'm, I'm back, but my joy, and, and the fact that when we saw each other, it was joyous. How would it be if, if, if you know, she had just I, the joy that God wants us to understand? To not be ashamed. To not, and I mean not be ashamed because the Lord is worthy. And sometimes I think that, that we can be a little bit hesitant because we don't know what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That we should be called sons of God or children of God. The Father loved us so much that he sent his only begotten Son. Why? Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to bring back God's creation to himself because God loved you. We need to understand what manner that is that involves in that. It is out of the love of the Father's heart that we're called children of God. Because the love of the Father's heart sent His Son to accomplish just that. Before I was in Christ, I was what they call the son of the devil. I was doing my own thing. I was heading the way to hell. But now that I'm in Christ, I'm a child of God. And it's exactly because of the manner of the love of God that's I'm in. That's why Jesus said that when He came out of the tomb. I'm going to my God and your God. See, our God is, before Jesus Christ, is the God of this world. He's the one that's ultimately controlling things. You know, we can have gods of all sorts, sex, self, whatever, money. But when we become a Christian, and we are, we are now his possession, he loves us immensely. We're called to abide in him, to draw our true and only life from him. You know, security. Without abiding in Christ, there's really no security for the Christian. And the Christian might be a born-again individual, 
But he will go through life stumbling and being afraid and not giving God his due because he is not abiding in. In fact, if he keeps going along too long, we'll see in, in the little part of this chapter, he's going to be in a predicament that uh, he's not going to be able to get out of. To be in Jesus Christ is simply one to, to acknowledge that they are a sinner, to acknowledge that they're separated from God from their sin, to acknowledge that if it goes on, when they die, they will meet God as their judge and will give an account, and they will spend a eternity in a place that is described in so many different ways. To be a Christian is one that turns from their sin and receives Jesus Christ as their sin bearer, as their Lord and their Savior. That's a Christian. That's when the Christian life begins. And now, after he's writing to us, little children, we need to behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us. It doesn't know us, because we, are, we have a different God. We have the one true God. We are saved. We know him. The world doesn't know him. We have a reality that operates in our life that they don't have. We are going to a different place that they are going. Our conscience is not burning and condemning anymore. We've been washed with the blood of the Lamb. And no wonder they hate us because their chief God, the, the adversary, the God of this world, the God of this age, hates God and he's ultimately going to persecute us. And Jesus said, they're not really persecuting you, followers and brethren of mine, they're persecuting me. So no wonder the world doesn't know us. It does not know him. Listen to these words from, John, from Jesus in John 16. In that day you will ask in my name, and I, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me, and I and have believed that I came forth from God. And as we read in John 17, 23, the Father loves us just as he loves his Son. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 7, but God was rich in mercy because of his great love, which with he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in many places in Christ Jesus. In order that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What manner of love? God unleashed his love and his grace upon us, lavished it upon us in Jesus Christ. Jesus said this about this in John 15. You know, we read, uh, don't be alarmed that the world doesn't know you. You know, sure it doesn't know you, it doesn't know him. Look at what Jesus said in John 15. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Wow. 
Brethren, we need to understand that the over and all encompassing love of God that he has for us. We can start to understand from the passages that we are safe and secure in Jesus Christ. And by that, we produce fruit. By that knowledge, we produce fruit. By that confidence, we produce fruit. By that understanding that I am in Jesus Christ. That's how God sees me. I am in Christ. He's going to safely deliver me to his heavenly kingdom. And I am confident now. And I can rest and abide in my Lord that bears the fruit through me. Verse 2, he says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. We shall see Him as He is. You know, before I go on here, there's so many uh, parts in Scripture. You know, you go to the Song of Solomon, for example. He's the, he's the Rose of Sharon. He's the Lily of the Valley. He's the one that displays a banner of love over us. He's the one that pronounces on you uh, that you have no spot nor wrinkle in you. He's the one that, that loves you even though the world says you're dark and you're, 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 you know, you're, you're unbecoming and all that. Remember how the Shulamite woman, my, my, you know, they looked upon me as dark and, you know, and, and this and that. He looks upon you as lovely. He looks upon you as what his finished work of redemption did, made you a new creation. He looks upon you as lovely as the Father looks upon you, because absolutely the Father loves you as he loves the Son. The manner of love that God has, we start to understand that there is no way that we should live any other way than the fact of resting in his secure love. And by the resting and abiding, fruit starts popping out all over the place. And you know what that fruit consists of? Goodness, kindness, love, joy, peace. The fruit of character. The fruit of understanding that we are in Him and He is in us. That's what Jesus said, because you understand that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. It's that relationship that He's brought us into. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Wow. Wow. You know, we see descriptions of them, just for example. Check some of these descriptions out. And we see them, we, we, Daniel first mentioned them, but we also see them more prevalently in, in Revelation. Listen to some of these. Head and hair, white like wool, white as snow. Now, of course, these are metaphoric, but they're metaphoric for a wonderful God. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet are like bronze. His voice is like the sound of many waters. He's the lamb that had been slain before the foundation of the world. Eons ago, God had had known that Christ would die for the sins of the world. He would be the lamb that was slain, like the song we wrote about earlier. We see in Revelation 19, uh, verse 13, for example, right after that great door in heaven has been opened and we're coming back with him, we see who he is. He has a robe dipped in blood. That blood was spilled for you and I. That blood was, was infectious from the foundation of the world. That blood was infectious when it was actually spilled on the cross. That blood's going to be infectious for all eternity. He is our advocate, remember? Back in verse 1, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The blood. Behold, a manner of love the Father has given unto us. Wow. 
Verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Underline that if you, if you underline in your Bible, purifies himself. Wow. You want to be, we want to, we, we want to walk before him in, 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 in the purity and the, and the whiteness and the, the joy and, and uh, sure we're going to sin the side of heaven. Absolutely. Is that the norm? No. Wait a minute, you're teaching that legalism stuff. No, I am not. <laughs> By the very virtue of the fact that, uh, that we are in Jesus Christ, changes everything. Listen to what Mark Lloyd-Jones writes. He's a wonderful, uh, if you can get all of any of his writings, I would recommend it. Martin Lloyd-Jones about this script, this verse and uh, where we're at says this. You cannot claim to be a child of God and still go on living as if you had not been born again. In other words, one of the first implications of this realization of our sonship is the realization of the absolute necessity of living a holy life. Wow. Yes, absolutely. So he goes on verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Wow, that's a, that's a heavy statement. As we go from verses 4 to 9, I'm sure most of you have read this. Most of you have read, you know, people that have, have gone before. The King James Version, uh, if you note it in context, it's, it's all in context. Some of the newer versions spell it out for you. But verses 4 through 9 is always in a uh, continual sense. When they're talking about sin here, I mean, taking the contents of all the letters that, that John is writing, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, you see this very evident. It's always in a continual sense. In other words, uh, it's something that, that when we, before we were in Christ, we had a thrall in sin, we couldn't help it. We had one nature within us, we were absolutely run by that nature, and we were sinners. We were sinners because we sinned. But the new life in Jesus Christ... Now that, that power of sin has been broken, we still have the, the flesh, the old nature, but now we have something more dynamic, something more eternal, something more pronounced. We have the Holy Spirit within us. So now the life of the Christian, the born-again one, by his virtue of relationship and union with Christ, it is only logical that he would walk in a way different from those that do not have the living God. Or do not know God. Won't well, notice as we go down, look in verses 5 and 6, you know, in him, in him. Uh, I don't have time, but last week we looked in Colossians chapter 2. Man, how many times it's in him, in him, of him, in him. The apostle is saying that, it, that we are now new creations in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. All has become new. Not only our standing with God, but our old ways are gone. Remember again what Martin Lloyd-Jones writes. I love this. I have it in my file. Periodically I look at it. Again, you cannot claim to be a child of God and still go on living as if you had not been born again. In other words, you cannot go on that thraldom, down that same road, down that same uh, bondage, down that same hindrance, down that same road of depression, down that same road of hopelessness. Uh, we could go on. You cannot. By the virtue that you've been born again. And he says that this, again, this realization 
that's your that of your relationship with Christ is also that realization that it's a necessity that you live a whole life. It's all through the Word of God. Wow. Whoever commits sin, verse 4, also commits lawlessness. Lawlessness. Just for a side note, uh, that's what they call the the man of of sin, the perdition, the beast, the man of lawlessness. He will allow lawlessness to reign freely. Once Jesus Christ removes the church, I believe, and uh, just for a little side note here, that lawlessness will have an unabated uh, avenue, if you will, to influence the wickedness of the society. But nonetheless, he who goes on practicing committing uh, sin, he commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know, Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent. Talking about the end, end of all things. He says, Be diligent to be found by him without spot or wrinkle, blameless. <laughs> Peter was another one that had admonished to, that he loved them. And see, by by virtue of he's always going to constantly stir up their pure words by way of reminder. You know why? Because he knew that the time is going to come where people are going to get less and less and less concerned about the character of God and more and more concerned about success and, and everything else. I don't want to be considered lawless. Sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested, verse 5, to take away our sins. And in him, brethren, there is no sin. I remember one time years and years ago hearing a radio program of a guy who was teaching that, using this verse to teach that, that we are sinless. On the position of God, but are we sinless here? No, we still sin. But the point is that we don't have a cruel taskmaster anymore. We have one who's risen from the dead that promised to be with us by sending the Holy Spirit that he will live and guide us into all truth, that he will give us victory over sin, that he will give uh, life to these moral bodies that we live. We have hope. How do we know the scriptures? You know, when it brings things to, to, uh, to our mind that Jesus has said, he allows us to, to understand the scripture. He gives us victory over sin. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. He, he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Paul says, and we quoted this already before, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, For he made him. Father made the Son, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. But now, once at the end of the ages, He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Wow. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Yes, we are righteous. We have a perfect standing for God. Praise the Lord. 
C.I. Schofield writes in these verses, he says that the sinner does righteously because in the eyes of God he has been made righteous. Wow. Going back to Martin Lloyd-Jones' thing, you cannot claim to be a child of God and still go on living. You don't understand what it is to be a child of God. You know? God loves you that much. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. No wonder the, the, the world doesn't know us. <laughs> is there any wonder? Because it did not know Him. They have no idea of the life of God. They have no idea. That's why you hear a term called agnostic or, or uh, so, so prevalent. It was prevalent in Paul's day. Paul's was dealing with Gnosticism, which, which, which turned more with, with uh, the spiritual realm and, and knowledge, and or so-called. Now we have what they call agnostics. You have a lot of your Hollywood people, and a lot of your people everywhere claiming to be agnostics. You know, That's like it's a big exalted title. <laughs> I don't claim to be an agnostic, because an agnostic basically says, that, well, you know, there maybe could be a God, but there maybe could not be a God. You really can't prove it. And especially by experience. No wonder the world doesn't know us. It did not know him. Wow. We have been given a life in Jesus Christ that is stupendously wonderful. Man, I cannot believe people can go on and hear the word of God and hear the word of God and not want to be a part of, of his life, that are willing to take their chances, that are willing to denounce anybody. You know, I had a guy one time tell me, he goes, son, he goes, a few, um, you know, I look back, there's a lot of prophetic voices I believe in my life. He goes, son, he goes, you're going you're gonna to understand that if, if, you, if you're younger than people, people are going to look down on you as scorn because you're young. You know, this guy's not young. Oh, this guy's young. He doesn't know anything. Well, lo and behold, not too, about many years later, Charles Stanley said the same thing. But we can't say this thing about the Apostle John, can we? He had not only been with Christ, he had not only seen Christ, he had not only been very intimately acquainted with Christ. This He was about 90, late 90s writing this. He had seen all kinds of things. He had seen all kinds of religious persuasions. He had seen people that claimed to be uh, agnostics. He had seen all kinds of things. He was manifested, verse 5, to take away our sin, and in him, in him, in Jesus Christ, praise God, is no sin. That's where I'm at. I'm in Jesus Christ. I have, I live in this body that, you know, we'll get to that uh, in tomorrow night, and read it for yourself in Romans chapter 8. Look at the third verse. What the law could not do, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and on account of sinners, offering from sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Then you go into chapter five, or excuse me, verses five and nine. God looks at us as not in the flesh; we're in the spirit. Yes, indeed, we have these bodies, but we're bringing, Paul said, my body into subjection, and I mortify the deeds of the body by the spirit. We have victory here and now, and our completed victory will be with Jesus Christ when sin won't even be a reality; it will be gone, banished forever. 
But the penalty of sin is not yours and I anymore to deal with. Praise God. Yes. Amen to that. In him there is no sin. Wow. Listen to what the writer of the Hebrews says. I'll mix that in Hebrews 7 with 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to this. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. This is who we are in. Okay? We've been baptized into Christ. We are in Him. I, this high priest, he was fitted for us. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, but with the precious, and then Paul goes on to say, but the same one who separated and agrees with the right of the Hebrews, he says, but with the precious blood of Christ, we were saved without spot, without blemish. You know, he was manifested to deal with sin. And those that are in him share a life of no condemnation. Those that are in him share a life of, they are controlled by him. They are not only, no longer in bondage to sin because the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. That is Romans 6.23. We are separated. We want, we want, we realize that the, the love of God and fellowship, we're abiding in him, we're taking all of our all of our sorrows, all of our joys, all of our needs, all of our wants, all of our laughs, all of our dislikes, all of our likes, everything to Him. We abide in Him. He is. We do nothing that He's not welcome into, including our thought life. We abide in Him. We start realizing something, that God loves me. And the manner which with He loves me, I can't comprehend fully because I've never been loved that way. Now I'm a recipient of it. And I am growing, hence the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I am starting to understand what this life is really all about. First John, wow. I'm writing to you, little children. Verse 6 says, Whoever abides in him does not sin or does not continue, continue in sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Whoever continually abides in him will not habitually go on sinning. That is what he is literally saying there. Whoever abides in him will not habitually go on sinning. There's a lot of power in the Christian life. There's, I think, more power than, than some of us ever realize. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians. For this reason... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And by the way, wisdom and understanding, those are two words that the Proverbs are so connected with. Listen to this, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. There we go again. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. 
That means there is, there is a dangerous zone of not pleasing him. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, listen to this, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience, long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the saints in life. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. There is the end, right here. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. He's broken it. You know, when we read Romans chapter 7, we realize the struggle there. We realize that the power has been broken. We don't have to follow that anymore. He's delivered us from the power that has broken, the darkness, and he's conveyed us or he's translated us in the kingdom of his dear son with whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In him there is no sin. Verse 6, whoever abides in him does not continue to sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Wow. Well, that's judgmental. You know what? Don't shoot the messenger boy. Take it up with God. That's how serious this life is. And when you start to understand these things, we start to understand the warnings that all the, the, the not only the prophets, Jesus himself, but the apostles tell us about the deceivableness of these false teachers are going to come in and they're, they're going to say, no, you know, hey, come on, you know? After all, you're only human. You know, and, and they'll change things around. You know, what's interesting to me, and I have the first few, another few minutes, and we'll, we'll just interject this right now. The, the wonder, wonderment of me is that when Paul received these things from the risen Christ, you know what his first epistle was, like we said last week? Galatians, they say. What does he do in the first chapter? He, he pointedly breaks out. In fact, let's look at it just real quick. Okay, Galatians chapter 1. Right away, he says that he's, he's an apostle. Not from men, but from Jesus Christ. And God the Father, here we go, who raised him from the dead. So right away, in his first thing, he's saying that this one is raised from the dead, this one I'm writing about. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Look at verse 3. Grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes right into it in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. It has always been the will of the Father, that as, as we become born-again Christians, that we, we, are, we walk circumspectly, we're different, or as I love how the King James says, the, uh, uh, Peter says, we're peculiar people. But then he goes right into verse 6 and down. He launches right into the fact that I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away to another gospel, which is not another. But there will be some out there that would pervert the gospel of Christ. That's why we must need an obstetrician and we must need a pediatrician. In other words, we must need the obstetrician like Billy Graham or whatever, an evangelist that goes out and tells the gospel. We come into the kingdom, but we need those pediatricians, so to speak. And I do this because of kids. That, that as the kids grow, they feed them their vitamins, they feed them the word, they, you know, and, and they grow in this life that they're born into. Where have we lost that? Oh, we're saved, they all, well, only going, that's why Martin Lloyd-Jones says, hey, you know what, you're born again, you cannot 
go on and live the life as if you had not been born again. This is the life that God's calling us to. It is exciting. Am I, I know I'm not the only one that gets excited about yeah. this. this. These are truths that will literally change your life. Um, I love it. He says in verse 7 again, Little children, let no one deceive you. You know, let me, let me start off by this by saying a righteous life is the result of salvation through Jesus Christ, period. The righteous life is the result through salvation through Jesus Christ, period. He says in verse 7 again, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Practices. Paul, he's leaving Timothy and he says, you've known my purpose and manner of life. You've seen it. You follow me. He says, I was the most religious guy that you'd ever want to see. You go to Philippians chapter 3 and read that very, very carefully about how it was, that was the biggest thing for a Jew was their identity. They were, he was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a, a Hebrew of all Hebrews. He was a Pharisee concerning the zeal. He persecuted the church and all these things. And he says, all that to me is gone. It's rubbish that I may gain Christ. I want to say something, and, and I, I have seen this over and over through the years. You know what characterizes that you can also see in the fact of somebody who possesses or professes to be a Christian in whatever way, shape, or form, and doesn't possess Christ? There's no character. Look at the character. We are dealing with an individual right now, my wife and I, who's seeing this. Who's seeing these people that propose all these these strange doctrines that they claim to know Christ and they claim to know this and that, but their character is in the toilet. There is no love. There is no changing. There is nothing. There's arrogancy. There's, there's, there's boisterousness. There's pride. There's lack of love. And just those four things right there, the scripture speaks against. In fact, the writer of the Proverbs say those are abominations in the sight of God. Because that's what we were before Christ. We are all walking in abominations. But in him there is no sin. Check this out what Proverbs says in Proverbs 14.2. This is a, wow, this hits right between the eyes. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord. But... He who is perverse in his ways despises him. I'm sorry, folks. There's a lot of our family that walk perversely in their ways, and they're really despising the Lord. I cannot tell you how many times through the years, oh, I love the Lord. My kids love the Lord. Really? That's not what the Bible says. And their, their, their whole demeanor of life, God is not anywhere in their thoughts. God is not anywhere in their life. And yet they, they act, they, really? And the only reason I'm saying that is because in the context of this letter, we're not to be deceived. Whoever said this Christian life was going to be easy? 
Whoever said that we're not supposed to weep for our loved ones, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Jesus wept over, over how much the death of Lazarus hurt Martha and Mary and her friends. Remember, we sow here weeping, the Bible says. But we will reap with joy. Let's get our lives together. And let's, let's understand what this life is together. So he makes the astounding statement in verse 6 again. Whoever abides in him does not sin or continue to sin. That thraldom of sin, you know. If you were a drunkard before Christ, are you going to continue to be a drunkard after Christ? If you were a liar before Christ, are you going to continue to be a liar after Christ? If you extorted money from your company before Christ, are you going to continue to do it afterwards? There's a big one. If you lusted after women in your mind before Christ, are you going to continue doing it after Christ? That's what he's saying here. No. No. In verse 8, when we get there, we'll tell you, Believe verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Again, you practice righteousness is righteous. This is it's righteous. Think of verse 8. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. If you're going on committing lawlessness, Christ died to destroy what you're continuing on with. Is that logical? No. None at all. You see the importance of, of what Paul's saying in, in the fourth chapter of Ephesians? How God has set up, you know, people in the church, whatever, so that people would grow up and mature to mature Christians and not be swayed about, you know? Well, I used to go to, well, I still do. I used to go to Band a lot. And, and getting in the, uh, coming in the Band off 3rd Street, there was a swamp. I think I took, Mike and I went there one time, but, you know, and I've been going for years, you know, but going back, you know, they're not too bad, you know, and then you see after the years, you go to these Christian bookstores, and they're like a big poop bin, excuse my expression, but you go in there, and all this material is starting to always crop up, and the last time I went in, I think it was the last time Mike and I went in, I haven't gone back, it was disgusting. You have word and faith over here, and people that will totally lead you astray, and so many other things. You have other people over here. You, who knows what to believe, right? You go in there, and they got anything you ever want from people that just don't. <laughs> wow, it's incredible. Let's not be deceived. Let's know what this life is all about. The Bible doesn't change. It hasn't changed, and will never change. Jesus Christ came to save us from our sin. And the Christian, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, I'll end in this verse. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Does not continue in that thraldom of sin. Impossible to live in continual thraldom in sin and its lifestyle. And the scriptures goes on to say, verse 9, For his seed remains in him, and he cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. Literally, this is what we're looking at. 
No one who is born of God practices sin because the seed abides in him and he cannot keep on practicing sin, literally. It is impossible to live in continual throttle when it's sin. That's lifestyle. Jesus said an amazing thing about the, remember that parable about the, the, the farmers, they're out in the field, they're mastering and planting all the seed and then, you know, and uh, it starts sprouting up, and they're amazed. They're saying, well, did we not plant all good seed in your, in your field? And, the ma- and they said, what, you want us to go out and pick those tares? They said, no, leave them. Let them go together. That's, that was one of the probably hardest concepts for me to understand. Because of, I'm a perfectionist. It was me, let's weed those bad boys out. But you know what? I believe that there's a couple different interpretations of that. You know, obviously that the scripture says that those were planted by an enemy. But I think a lot of times that sometimes they grow up together because in in an analogy that those stocks would look the same until the one would grow the head. Then you can notice the difference. You see, the one was a weed, basically. The other one had a head that could bear fruit. But until they were growing up, I think that some of them look the same, talk the same, smell the same, but they aren't the same. And Satan is a great deceiver. If you think that you can out-deceive the master of deceivers, watch out. Because Michael the archangel said, I, I, I dare not bring an accusation against you, but the Lord rebuke you. All judgment has been given to the Son. We must basically understand, watch yourselves, the scripture would say. Don't you know that you yourselves are in Jesus Christ unless you fail the test? We're not taught to scrutinize. We're taught to watch. You'll know them by their fruits. But I want to I want to be accountable to my God. And he says one of the ways that I could sin or I, excuse me, I can see the one that continually sins that says he's in Christ but he's not is his life will bear it. Remember that, that uh, if you have a pencil, write that down, if, unless you know it, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 2. He who walks in his perverseness, or excuse me, in his uprightness, fears the Lord. That's just the way it is. He who claims to be a Christian and walks in an upright life, a circumspect life, fearing the Lord and his word, versus one who's perverse in his ways, he's actually despising him. I don't care how much Jesus said it this way. If those that come to me, they worship me with their lips, but their heart, the seed of their life, is far from me, and they worship me in the traditions and the vain philosophies of men. And they're everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere. One of the only reasons why I wish that all my kids were still at home is solely that I could guard them from that. Guard them from these false teachers, this false philosophy. I want to let them know and grow in the maturity of Christ and know that they are saved, know that what they're saved from, but more importantly, or as importantly, know who they're saved to. And when we're saved to the Lord Jesus Christ, what then? What happens? What does this life look like? I want to know. I want to be the real deal. We can be. And the Apostle John, who suffered immeasurably 
um, as they all did, for Christ. He was telling us to not only abide in him, not only to believe in him, but to also know that we're not on probation because Christ died for our sin. And God was pleased with the fact because he rose him from the dead. Simply put, as we get put a cap on this this morning, number one, we need to realize that those who come to Jesus Christ, again, are not on probation. In other words, they are not on trial. God the Father sent God the Son to be the sacrifice, the only sacrifice that would please Him on, on our behalf. When Christ suffered on the cross and took your mind's sin upon Himself, and He took it and He was buried, and three days later He rose from the dead as the only sacrifice for sin and eternal life that pleased the Father, so He raised His Son from the dead. That which you've heard from the beginning, stand on, John would say. The second of all, now that we are raised with Christ, we have a position in Jesus Christ. That position is secure and put away in the heavens by God the Father himself. Not by me, not by a church, not by a seminary, not by a degree, not by how smart or unsmart I am. But I have a position in heavenlies from God the Father himself in Christ Jesus. Then he will go on to say that I want to tell you some things. I need you to abide in him. Because there are things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, will do nothing but ensnare you, entrap you. And by the way, that was the normality of life until you were bought off the slave market by Jesus Christ. We were all slaves of sin, and we know that the wages of sin is death, but Christ came and bought us back. That's what propitiation is all about, the sacrificing. He bought us back from that slave market of sin. We are his now. Never be sold again, as Schofield would say. Never be in bondage again. We, have, we were slaves. We were bought with the precious blood of Christ. We are his. God satisfied. He rose from the dead. How do I know? I know because Christ was raised from the dead. The resurrection. And now I have a place in heaven because God placed me there. I didn't place me there. God did. And he says, you don't want to know how much that I placed you there? I'll give you a guarantee. First of all, not only by the Spirit that will seal you for the day of redemption, but I got something that you can understand. My son, it went as a forerunner for you into my presence. He is in the presence of God, the scripture says, for you. That's confidence. We can rest in that, we can grow in that, and now it causes us to abide in him. Take all things to him. Abide in him. It's only natural for a, a, an orange tree to bear oranges. So how can it do that? It abides in the tree. The branch abides in the vine. I want to bear fruit for God and be a fruitful witness for him. And Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. For part of me you can't do nothing. And then John would say, I want to tell you this, because when he comes back, I want you to be just, I want you to be bursting out with excitement and anticipation to see him. Because he's bursting with anticipation to see you. He longs to see you. In fact, Jesus had that, that way of speaking, when he said, John 14, if I go away, I'm going to come back. Mm -hmm. you know? 
I go away, I'm coming back. How many people that have gone in the military overseas in, in the previous wars that have told their either the loved one, their betrothed, or their wife, I'm coming back? How much hope and anticipation and courage does that give the one waiting at home? He said, I want to come back to you. Okay? Jesus said the same thing. He says, if I go away, I'm coming back. That's confidence. And by the way, if you are, if you are on a probation or a test area period or whatever, God will not call you his little children. In the original language, that means dear born ones. Born of God. Dear ones. That'd be like telling me one of my kids, you know what? You just don't live up to the grand name. If you don't really get together, you're not my child anymore. That's ludicrous. Let's not put God in such a position. We can know that these things are so. We can have confidence in our God. This life is going to be over in an instant. And you're going to stand before Him. Are we going to stand before Him comfort, confident, knowing that, that we live this life down here with purpose and meaning and faith and, and use all things at His disposal? I'll close with this, what Tim LaHaye said about these first two verses of chapter 3. By the way, he's home with the Lord. <laughs> John points to the second coming of Christ as both our future hope and our present motivation. We have been adopted into God's family and are already called children of God. Are already called children of God. We're, we're looking for the future coming of Christ. We're looking for our future being with Him. But we are already, right now, called children of God. In the meantime, our future glory is not yet fully revealed, but we can be confident that when Jesus comes for us, we will be completely transformed. We will be like Him. We will be totally changed into His moral image and likeness of Christ. John challenges his readers to purify their lives in the meantime in anticipation of Christ coming back for us. I thought that was excellent. The love of Christ. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. And Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word and the confidence that we can have in it, knowing our God, knowing whose we are, and the promises that you've given to us. And this you've promised us, eternal life. This is the life of God, and we've been given it because of Christ. I pray that we be strengthened by your by this message this morning. Begin as always, going back and searching the Word of God to see if these things are not only so, but using it to get into the Word, that the Word might get in us, that it will effectually work in us who believe. Thank you again for this day of food we're going to have. And I just, again, thank you for the time and your precious Word, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Reaching forward to what lies ahead. Some people think, and some people might have this grasp of this truth for the first time. I pray that we would listen to the Spirit of God as He teaches us Your Word. And I thank You for it. I thank You for this day, Father, and I praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Cam wants to...